All right, today's text, as I said, is Jesus returned from Capernaum back to his hometown of Nazareth. This comes to us from Luke chapter 4. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there are many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow, And there were many lepers in Israel during the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Today, I want to invite you to witness the wonder of of Jesus just in who he is as the word of God, speaking the word of God through the prophet Isaiah. And the people marveled at who he was. But they were marveling, not believing. Right? Marveling is something that you do when you see an incredible act take place or or you hear something incredibly astounding. You marvel at it. You wonder at, at how amazing that was. But it is not faith. It is not belief. Well, earlier today, I asked you the question, if you could see any miracle in your life right now, what would that be? So people in, in Nazareth were hungry for, to see a sign. Show us something really cool, Jesus. You've gone off into Capernaum. You've done amazing teachings. You just did that here. You did amazing signs there. Now we'd like to see some of that here at home. Obviously, we're the hometown. Your people. Let's see what you really can do. You're like, we've seen you build tables Today we want to see you change water into wine or maybe something even more spectacular. What miracles would you like to see in your life? Maybe you've been praying for a a miracle of, of healing, something physical in your body. Maybe you've been praying that God would bring some peace to mental or emotional unrest in your life. Or maybe... You'd like to be able to go back and undo a wrong that was done. Maybe a a wrong that was done to you or maybe a wrong that you have caused to somebody else. Today, as Jesus travels from Capernaum back to Nazareth, they're stunned at his teaching. They are in wonder at his wisdom. They long to see this miracle. And when Jesus didn't do the miracle, essentially saying, if my word won't produce faith in you, neither will a sign, 
they turn to wrath. And they try to kill him. They push him off to the side of this hill, which is actually a cliff several hundred feet down. And he just simply walks through them untouched. Which is really kind of ironic if you think about it. There actually was a miracle that happened right there. That this crowd of people, not Jesus' time, his hour had not yet come, and he's able to safely pass through untouched. These individuals were angry, filled with wrath, like gut anger, because Jesus was not who they wanted him to be. I wonder if they didn't just miss misunderstand the whole concept of Jesus to begin with and totally misunderstood for sure what miracles are all about. And I wonder if there might be some in here today who can relate. Who is Jesus to you? Jesus at one point asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? I hear him asking us that question today. And I can anticipate in the crowd that anticipation that the crowd felt, right? The, the word of spread of the amazing things he'd done in Capernaum. And now they want to see him do that here. They want this show. They want the spectacular, the sensational. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Right? And here's where the text takes a turn. Because now doubt really kind of introduces itself. Instead of Jesus being the son of God, instead of Jesus being the one who brings extraordinarily solutions to ordinary problems, he's just a carpenter's boy. Isn't this Joseph's son? To marvel, as they did, is so different from believing. And their unbelief is, is expressed in stating his identity as a son of Joseph. There's nothing messianic, nothing, nothing promised, nothing savior about this. This is just a boy. It was hard for them to believe who Jesus truly was. And I think the same is true for many people today. Because back then, if people standing face to face with Jesus, the Son of God, couldn't believe in who he was, then how much more difficult is it for those of us who don't have that luxury of seeing him face to face? I think sometimes this happens when we get to a place where we are so successful, so wealthy in life that we really just kind of look at Jesus as this get-out-of-hell-free card that we've talked about before. That I can live my life wildly successfully right here and right now, and I'll just save Jesus and forgiveness and salvation for, for the day I die, and then eternity beyond. Or we can get to a place where we just don't believe that this, that this grace thing is really real. Like, it's too good to be true. Like, the sins that we have burrowed deep in our souls are somehow too deep for God's love to penetrate. That he's sick and tired of all the mistakes that we continue to do. That he's wiped the dust off his feet and left town. Sometimes, just as as a preacher, it can be so difficult not to want to preach, you know, or it's so difficult to preach the law. Like what does God's word actually say in these social issues? What does, what does the truth of God never waver from? And it can be falling into the trap of, of early, early church of sounding like you're preaching sinners in the hands of an angry God. And so in the Lutheran church especially, we preach grace. We preach Christ. We preach forgiveness. 
And I think sometimes we preach so much of that grace that we become numb to it. That we forget about the law entirely. It's called cheap grace. When you just, when you just go through your life consciously making mistakes, purposefully making mistakes, just knowing, God, I know you cannot break your promise. I know I'm going to hold you to it. And we turn it into a license to sin and do whatever we want. We misunderstand who Jesus is. There was a time in my life, most of my life, up until when I was about 30, that I had a huge misunderstanding of who Jesus was, particularly who the Father was. Right? When my parents divorced, I, I looked at my birth dad and I saw him looking at me and I felt, this wasn't true, but I felt it, so it was true for me in the time that there was something wrong about me that he judged, rejected, and abandoned. And so I put that on top of God. That every time I would make a mistake, God would look at me in that same way and judge me, reject me, and abandon me. Now, I knew the Sunday school answer, right? I'm, I wasn't foolish. Like, if you were to ask me, do you believe that Jesus died for you? I'd, I'd, stay, I'd be the first one to stand up. I'd put two hands in the air and go, amen. And not believe it. Because I could tell you how much God loved each and every one of you, that there was nothing you could ever do that would make God love you any less. But I was worse. Right? The sins that I had done were far worse. And so certainly, how could God love someone like that? And that was the lie that I lived with. If Jesus would have said, who do you say I am, Tyg? Not the Sunday school answer, but I can see and penetrate into your heart to know the true answer, and I know what you think. Sometimes we have a misunderstanding of who we are as well. Right? We have an identity problem. Maybe we identify ourselves with all of our successes, or maybe the opposite side of the coin, maybe we identify ourselves with all of our failures or all the hurts we've encountered. We misunderstand who we are. And I think we also sometimes misunderstand miracles in general. Like, like what are they for? What's their purpose? And who are they for? Who's their target? The recipient. Right? I've, I've prayed in my life for all kinds of miracles. For, for my mother to be healed from cancer, uh, and that didn't get answered. For, for infertility issues to be solved, and that didn't get answered. And so many other prayers. Oh, life is a, is a Garth Brooks song. <laughs> and, and I thank God for those unanswered prayers. Because the way that he answers them are, are different from the way that I'm asking. And his answers are always better. You see, we misunderstand the purpose of miracles oftentimes. We think that when we pray as, as a faithful child of God, or that, that God is, is going to listen and he's going to give us something good that we're asking for. As if the point of miracles was to improve life. Right? The point of miracles was not to improve life. The point of a miracle was to be a sign that pointed to who Jesus is, to prove that Jesus has the power and the authority to say to you, I forgive you all your sin. That's the purpose of a miracle. And we have that security in the very word of God. The word of God is powerful. But we just look at miracles as... God, this would be a great thing. Why don't you give it? 
and who's it for? Sometimes we have the misunderstanding of who these miracles are for, as if these miracles God gives only to those who are incredibly faithful, right? The ones who pray fervently, who, who have all of the right handshakes and know all the right secret knowledge to be able to tap into that red phone in heaven and say, this is what I need. And God says, well, I have been waiting for your prayer. You are the mightiest prayer warrior of all, the faithful of all faithfulists, something like that. Absolutely. I've been waiting for you to ask that. But it's certainly not for those who continue to fail, fall, and live miserable lives of brokenness. Well, let's apply some truth to all of these misunderstandings. Because when we learn the truth of who Jesus is, what miracles are for, and who they are for, it changes who we are. Right? There was this amazing quote that I, a friend shared with me this week that I think is, is absolutely perfect for this concept. This is a quote that he's passed through his family, and he says, You truly don't know something until it changes the way you view the world from that moment forward. I'm going to read that one more time. You truly don't know something until it changes the way you view the world from that moment forward. When you understand the gospel, when who Jesus is clicks for you, when that light of faith flickers into a full-blown flame, you cannot live life the same that you've always lived it. He calls you to change. You encounter his love and it just, it compels you to love other people like he's loved you. It changes who you are. Who is Jesus to you? Jesus is reading from the prophet Isaiah in the scroll that's been handed to him. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus says, because he has anointed me. That means uh, set aside for this incredible special work to do. Sent me to proclaim the liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The purpose of Jesus is clearly stated here, to proclaim the good news to the poor. Now it's important to know in this, in this language that he's reading from Isaiah, this is not the financially poor that he's talking about. If it would, uh, all of us would be excluded from this equation of God's grace. This is the spiritually poor, those who are, are brokenhearted and fall to their knees in front of Christ, who make that sacrifice of their sin like we did during our confession and absolution. To come to a place in our life where we realize there is nothing, not one smallest ounce that we can do to improve our relationship with God. That we are entirely, entirely dependent on an outside source of grace. That's who we are, the poor in spirit. And, and here's the amazing piece is Jesus has come to proclaim good news to those who are poor in spirit. Here's the problem. If you don't see yourself as being poor in spirit, the good news is not for you. What use do you have for it? But for those who are poor in spirit, like the Beatitudes Jesus preaches in, in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the earth. Good news, he preaches. Jesus' message of good news includes us call to repentance, to be poor in spirit before him, to empty ourselves before him that he might fill us up, not with the same old garbage that was in there before, but all of his goodness, all of his grace, all of his life, his love, his power, that he would waken our hearts 
to the power of life in Christ. That's who he is. And who you are to him is his beloved son or daughter that he loves deeply, passionately, not because of your behaviors, not because of your accomplishments, certainly not because of your failures, because you are his. You are his adopted son or daughter in the waters of your baptism. You are claimed as his own. You are purchased back from the enemy. The sight to the blind concept in the Hebrew language, it's more of he releases those in bondage. This concept that you are owned by the enemy, that he has released you from his torturous hell. Released you and set you free. And separated you from your mistakes, separated you from your sin as far as the east is from the west. That is his grace. That is his life that he pours out for you. Who he is for you. So what then is, is this miracle that Jesus works? What are miracles for? Right, it's so much more than just to make the world better. Right, all of the, all of the, the, the lame, all of the lepers, all of the, the, the hungry in Israel, in the Old Testament when the prophets get sent outside to the Gentiles, the worthless scum, that's who Jesus gives, that's who the, the, the prophets give their, their miracles of God to. Jesus goes out and gives these miracles to people outside his hometown, to Samaritans, to enemies, which is an amazing thing if you don't get hung up with your pride. Because what that means is God is so generous, so liberal with his grace, so, we learned this several months ago, prodigal himself. Prodigal means spendthrift. It just means he just, it almost looks like he is so gracious that it's wasteful. He is prodigal with his grace to you. He is prodigal with his grace to your enemies. He's prodigal with his grace to everyone. And that's a beautiful thing. If you empty yourself of your pride and go, man, I am so grateful that God not only loves me, but I'm so grateful that God loves everybody. And you know what? Because of the fact that God loves my enemies, that probably makes it easier for him to love me, quite honestly. If he can love them, maybe he can even love me. And these miracles are done, not just to make our lives better, not to just ease our pain or give us what we want, but to give us encouragement. Like a spiritual, I'm not going to say booster shot, that probably has negative connotation. Sometimes in my head things sound smarter than they do out loud. It recharges, encourages, affirms. Not just that individual sign, but the object and the person to which that sign points to Jesus himself and his power, his authority, his command over our lives. And we have God's word regardless of the signs that we see. So who are they for? You know, if you, if you think about it, if, if you have a strong faith, why do you need a miracle? Right? God's greatest miracle is coming for you, regardless. In fact, I think that the greater miracle is sometimes what happens when a faithful person of God undergoes incredible suffering and doesn't receive the miracle of healing because they're permitted to suffer well. 
How's, how's that go? Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character hope and hope never disappoints. Anytime I come up with that thought, I always am reminded of my amazing mom. Struggled with cancer for eight years. And the last, last several were painful. The last several months when she was in hospice were agonizing. But her attitude never changed. She was always filled with joy. She was always filled with optimism and love and grace and care to the CNAs that were coming in to serve my mom. And many of them came to know Christ because of the way that she suffered. I firmly believe that if God would have touched my mom in that last, in that last week and said, you are healed, cancer-free, that there would have been some people who were amazed, right, amazed. But because of the way that God didn't answer that prayer and didn't bring that miracle, people went from being amazed to believing. I don't know about you, but I take that any day. When you understand this, when you understand who Jesus is, who you are to him, who he is to you, when you get miracles, what they are and who they're for, you really know something when it changes the way you view the world. I pray that you start to see the world differently today. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who's come to us in your word. That through your word, we've come to know your son of your great love story for us. The reality of our broken, sinful selves that, that can do nothing to save us of your great, incredible power that you express through your love on the cross to do what we could not do for ourselves, to redeem and rescue us from the enemy, to wash us from our sin, to give us the power of new life in you. Father, thank you so much. For those who are praying for, for healing from physical pain, remind them that, that one day they will not just experience full, full healing, but a total resurrection for those praying for peace in their hearts and in their minds, remind them that there will be a day, maybe even now, where they can encounter the peace that passes all understanding. And Father, for those who pray that they could undo a wrong, remind them that, that when the fullness of your kingdom, when you come, you will put every wrong right. You are the miracle of the world put right in the fullness of the kingdom of God. We pray this in Jesus' powerful and holy name. Amen.